Hi, welcome to the Charlotte Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message and that it both encourages and inspires you. Anointing of God is here today and uh, I feel very honoured to be here. You've got a great church. Can I tell you right now, you've got an incredible church. And I really see you going forward from this place. I really believe it's a time to lift your head high and actually have, you know, something really powerful when you say, I go to Shiloh Church. Because I believe God wants to take him some of the shame of the past off so you can walk with your head held high, that you are in an awesome place for an awesome season. God is doing great things. And this is just incredible to see this place already filled. Imagine what he's actually going to do going forward. But you know, I want to pray for one thing. Pastor Phil said something awesome around the offering. He said a lot of awesome things, all right? But around the offering today, brought me back. You're talking about tithing. My husband and I pioneered our church in 2004, beginning of 2004. He was literally just pioneering He was just taking a little bit of money as he was leading youth alive at that time. I was stay-at-home mum looking after our kids because they were very young at that season. And in the midst of literally only a couple of hundred dollars a week coming in, we took a step of faith to pioneer our church. There was no income. There was no promise of income. And we literally set out on that journey. And in the middle of that, God spoke to us to build a house which was ridiculous, if you probably realise, even $200 a little while ago was a ridiculous amount of money. And a miracle took place in what we were able to do, that even when we built our house, we came in under budget. So there was money left over. I always call it my miracle house because God went far above beyond what we could ever imagine in a season of real hardship where we had no income. We were just being obedient and faithful to what God had asked us to do. And this is what I felt to do and I hope this is okay. If you're believing for a house here today, a house, a property of your own, I want you to stand to your feet right now without any embarrassment in this place because I'm telling you, you take a step of faith, God wants to come and do something incredible in your lives. And I wanna agree with what Pastor Phil said. Let's not believe what everyone's saying that it's impossible to buy houses at the moment, that the market has priced us all out of it because a miracle took place for us. And I'm telling you, it was a miracle. And the incredible thing was with the money that we had left over, because we'd saved so much on our house, we put a pool in our house. Because God, I believe, just goes a little bit above and beyond. So not only were we pioneering, we now had a house with a pool, which defied all logic in that season. And I could walk in and go, this is my miracle house. I still to this day do not know how we have that house. But it was a miracle of God. And I tell you, when you test God in this area, Don't believe the lies of the enemy. Don't believe the lies of the market even. God can provide even in incredible situations. So raise your hands right now. We're gonna believe for houses to be released in this place. 
God wants to release houses. So Lord God, we call forth miracles right now. And I declare over every person who is standing here today with a desire in their heart to have a home of their own, a property that belongs to them. I pray that You'd create miracles in the Name of Jesus as they take steps of obedience and faithfulness, Lord God. I pray miracles would come about. Miracles, miracles, breakthroughs right now. I declare breakthroughs of finance. I declare inheritances are coming right now in the Name of Jesus. There's going to be payments you didn't even realise you were going to get. They're going to come. There are miracles right now. So Lord God, I call forth homes. Homes. And it'll be a testimony right now. Not of what they've achieved, but the goodness of a miracle working God. So we give you praise. I want you to praise God for your home right now. In faith, go, thank you. Jesus, thank you, Jesus, that you're doing mighty things. Amen. Amen. You can grab your seats. Thank you. You're awesome. Well, it is so good to be here. Let's never believe and come into agreement with the lies of the enemy or the thinking of this world. Amen. We're going to get into the Word of God. We're going to read from Mark chapter 6 today. It is a very well-known story. need my glasses because I'm blind as a bat. There we go. It's called old age apparently. I was in denial for so many years. At 40, I went and got my eyes tested and the optometrist said to me, he goes, you're going to need glasses because really you're over 40. And I went, I defy that. I defy that. I will not have anyone speak negativity over my life. And do you know, for the next two or three years, I squinted my way through life. I would hold lights up to read things. And in the end, I went back. He goes, I told you so. I said, I don't like that spirit. But anyway, I had to relinquish my pride and I have glasses. And you know what? It's amazing. I don't even just have a large print Bible. My Bible, it doesn't say this, but in the front cover, do you know what mine is? Giant print. So even that, I need glasses. All right, Mark 6, enough waffling from me. Verse 30, it says this, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. You see, Jesus had sent them out on a missions trip, basically, a ministry trip. And then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognised them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. I just want to stop there. Jesus was trying to have a rest. This is a powerful picture. And it says he got in and he obviously went to a quiet place. But the crowd anticipated where Jesus was going and they were there even before he arrived. And he was so moved by compassion, by the hunger and the thirst of the crowd. He actually made a decision. I'm not going to rest. I'm going to minister. Can I tell you, hunger will always be attractive to Jesus. Hunger will always be attractive. And as a people and as a group and as a church, we have to continually get ahead head and go, you know what, I'm going to position myself. When we come to church, don't just turn up and go, well, I made it. Hope the pastor's happy. I'm actually here. Actually position yourself ready to receive what God has got for you because Jesus always moves where there is hunger in the midst. And it says, verse 35, by this time it was late in the day. 
So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. I've got to love the disciples because they're just so obvious in their statements. They're not saying great revelations. They're just saying it's late in the day, Jesus. I'm pretty sure he knew that. This is a remote place, Jesus. I'm pretty sure he knew those things. And they said this, verse 36, send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, this is Jesus, you give them something to eat. I love Jesus. And they said to him, but that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Jesus says, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. And then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Now, can I stop again there? Jesus was organised. So I'm going to just speak a word right now to all my organised friends out there. Jesus made them sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And that excites me because I'm organised. My husband probably couldn't care about that detail. But for me, I go, Jesus was organised. He had order. I love that. Even in the chaos of his ministry, he goes, no, 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 we're going to do this well. We're going to do this well. And you know what? I actually believe the reason Jesus actually had them do that. So they could actually count how many were there. So there would be a record, an account. So I love that. And it says, verse 41, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves and he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces and bread of bread and fish. And the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. What an incredible story. Years ago, actually, probably the end of 1999, we were living in Adelaide. We were youth pastors in Adelaide. And we got the call that there was an opportunity to come to Brisbane. Now, this has never been on my radar to come to Brisbane. I couldn't understand. You go to Brisbane for holidays. You don't go there to live. I couldn't understand how you'd live in a holiday place. That was just mind-boggling to me. And anyway, we really believed it was a God moment for us. And our pastors really believe this is a season for us to step forward. So we turn up November 1999 to check out the church that we were going to be a part of. Um, and it was a church, a large church in Mount Cravat. Don't even need to give any names away right there. Um, but a large church there where we were going to be the youth and young adults pastors. And we turn up and we're sitting in this church. And this will probably explain my husband and I very well. And we're going through church. There was three services that day. And we got in the car after the second service. And Paul goes, what do you think? I go, what do I think? I said, they're crazy people. Number one, they don't have air conditioning at that church. There is something seriously wrong with those people. Uh, number two, they wear singlets and shorts and thongs to church. Like, who are these people? See, I was from Adelaide. We were a bit prim and proper there. And I went, I just don't believe these people. And I would write people off as druggos, basically, you know. And one guy came up to us with his board shorts, no shoes and a singlet. And I went, he's on drugs, Paul. He's on drugs. Only to be introduced to him as one of our youth leaders later on, who was double degree in engineering, built roller coasters across the world. I went, mm, I have to rethink these Queensland people. 
But I walked away and I said, oh, Paul, I, I just don't think there's much there. And, you know, it just looks hard. A youth ministry that we actually took on was called, wait for it, The Zoo. <laughs> and can I just tell you, names are important. Names are really important. So guess what the youth ministry was like? When you name something the zoo, guess what it was like? Any guesses? It was like a zoo. It was wild. It was like throwing in a bit of meat at feeding time and it was wild. And I'm going, they're just disrespectful. They're dishonouring. There's just no heart for God. There's no hunger. And seriously, the air conditioning is still a really big issue in my life. And I said to Paul, but what do you think? He goes, I think it's awesome. I think there's potential and there's opportunity. And I just think God wants to do something powerful. And I think, I think that wildness and craziness of Queenslanders is right for God getting hold of it and doing something amazing. And in that moment, you realise you've married your polar opposite. Can anyone give me a wave if that's your relationship right now? And it hit me because this is very important we understand this. And this is what I want to speak to you today. You see, Paul and I had a different perspective. It was the same situation, same situation, but just a different perspective. And I want to speak to you on this thought, the power of perspective, the power of perspective. It's such an important thing. And here we have this story where Jesus has gone to a remote place People have chased him down. He ends up ministering. And now it's early afternoon or late afternoon, early evening, and they're hungry. And I love that the disciples have one way to remedy this problem. But Jesus actually has a whole other solution. It actually says in another gospel that he was testing them to see what they would do. I wonder so often if God's actually testing our perspective. If it's one of natural means and natural sight, or do we really have a kingdom perspective to actually see what God sees in that situation? And you know, the biggest struggle that Jesus had throughout his whole time of ministry there's a constant struggle between what the disciples saw and what Jesus saw. And I would challenge us today that that's probably the, still the same struggle today, that there is a struggle between what we see and what we understand and what we believe compared to what God actually sees, what God wants and what God actually desires. We know Isaiah 55, 8 very well, but it just simply says, you know, God's thoughts are higher, His ways are higher. He actually, let me just put it really bluntly in my own paraphrase, God doesn't think like you. And that is one of the greatest source of struggles for us because I'm going to tell you right now, God's not going to change. We need to constantly come to a place where we align our perspective with His and allow the Holy Spirit to give us an ability to see not what we see naturally, that we wouldn't walk in like me in a situation to that church at Mount Gravatt and go, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. We need to walk in and go, God, what do you see? What do you desire? What's your vision? What opportunities, what potential do you see? And I need to say this to you, whatever age you are today, we've got to be happy that ability, the power perspective in our children's lives, in our marriages, in our workplace, in our education places right now, in your ministry opportunities. Are you just seeing it for what it is? 
Or you're actually going, you know what, I want to align my thoughts with God's thoughts. I want to see the way God actually sees. You know, you think about some of the scenarios in the Bible. I, you've got to laugh, but we would be exactly the same. This is the humbling part that we would be exactly the same. Don't think we're any better than the disciples. But, you know, here's Jesus sharing about his death that's to come. He's sharing about the necessity that he needs to die on a cross for the salvation of the world and for us. And I love that Peter goes, nah, won't let that happen, Jesus. Don't you love that? The audacity of Peter, because he sees with natural eyes, he goes, I will never let that happen, Jesus. So much so that Jesus has to step in and go, get behind me, Satan. Some of us probably need a little rebuke every now and then. We go, I'll never get through this. You know, the money will never work out, whatever. And we need to get behind me, Satan, because that's not the thinking of the Lord right now. I love that the disciples would always be asking, Jesus, when are you going to restore the kingdom? Now, in their mind, a kingdom was like an Old Testament kingdom. Jesus, when are you going to have a palace and a throne and sit on the throne? And when do we go back to being what was in the Old Testament? And Jesus had to constantly challenge them. We're not overthrowing the government, guys. We're not going to do that. We're actually called to have a different expression of kingdom going forward. And this is constant struggle. And we need to always be praying, give me your perspective, Jesus, in every situation. This is one of my favourites. When Jesus was actually sharing, it says about the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. In other words, he was warning them about religious spirits and political spirits. He's talking about the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod, religious and political spirits. This is what the disciples did. Oh, I think Jesus is hungry. He's talking about bread again. So has anyone brought the bread? And they enter into a big discussion about who forgot the bread that day. And Jesus is talking about political and religious spirits and they're focused on bread. It's the ability to have the same perspective either that we're going to see it naturally or we're going to see it in the things of God. Romans 12 too, I love this in the Passion Translation says this, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total transformation or reformation of how you think. We need a new perspective for this season God has called us into. We need a supernatural Holy Spirit perspective for every problem, challenge or issue that we face in life. And I want to tell you, who knows we'll have challenges. Who knows we'll have problems. But we have a choice in that situation. Go, you know what? Am I going to see it the way I see it? Or am I actually going to position myself Holy Spirit, what do you see? What does God have for me in this situation? You know, I love this story about when the Israelite army saw Goliath. Day after day, Goliath was taunting them, sharing all these crazy things. You see, the Israelite army made this declaration really about Goliath. He's so big, we can never kill him. But isn't it amazing when David, a young shepherd boy, came in? Here's the Israelites going, he's so big, this giant, we can never kill him. David came in and going, he's so big, I can't miss him. And we need to be people like that. We're either declaring this is a problem that's so big that's going to take us out. Or we're going, you know what, this is such a big problem. Only God can come through in this situation. So I just want to give you a few observations. And I'm going to end up with three keys real quickly on how we can change our perspective. But these are some of my observations about the disciples. And to be honest, 
I think most of us probably a bit like them. The first one is this. The disciples make an assumption that Jesus doesn't know about the problems and doesn't care about the problems. Has anyone ever been there before? Where we actually think Jesus doesn't even know what's going on in our life and he actually doesn't even care. The disciples going, Jesus, don't you realise there's hungry people here in this situation right now? And this is something we have to address constantly in our lives. Otherwise, we're going to actually start believing God doesn't care about me. God doesn't know my situation. God can work on my friend's situation, but he can't actually deal with my situation. This is very important. Problems will always reveal what we believe to be true about God. So when you're facing a challenge today, you either believe that God is for you, you either believe like we were singing today that he is the way maker, the promise keeper in that situation, or you believe, no, he hasn't got anything for me. It is something we have to challenge all the time and not let crazy thinking get in. When the disciples were in a storm on, in a boat in, on, on the lake, one of the craziest things was Jesus was asleep in that boat and Peter runs to Jesus and says these words, don't you care? How many times have we done something like that? You know, I remember for us 2011, and I know for a lot of people out this way particularly, the flood, the flood of Brisbane was a massive thing. And we had people living out in this area well, lost their homes. It was a crazy time. But we lost our church building in New Farm and it was decimated. It was destroyed. It was destroyed from the floodwaters coming up through the drains, but it was also destroyed from the waters coming down through rain as well. And I remember going through a season, we lost people in our church, giving dropped. It was just such a challenging season. We actually had nowhere to meet. Some days we'd meet at a comedy club. Another days we'd meet at the Greek club. We used black cloth everywhere because there was always inappropriate things everywhere. It's the greatest resource of churches everywhere. It's like throw some black cloth over that one. And so we would do all these things. And I remember I caught myself probably six months into this journey. I went, do you not care, God? Do you not care what we're actually going through? Do you not understand? Don't you know what's happening in our lives? Only to receive a rebuke from Jesus going, I care. And I've been there every moment. And I've been walking this through you. And you need to lift your eyes, Joe. Otherwise, you're seeing the problem, the condition, the issues, rather than actually seeing what I can do through these circumstances. Can I tell you, it was only probably a few years later that we realised God turned something. He was working for our good. He didn't cause any floods. But when you have a yielded and surrendered heart to Him, He can take a flood and He can turn it around for His glory. And one of the most powerful things that came out of that season was a blessing through insurance. Praise God for insurance. We didn't want it that way, but that's how He blessed us. And also an opportunity to find who our church was going forward. God did more in that season, accelerated more in that season than even the seasons beforehand. But this is the question. If you're going to walk around going, he doesn't care, you're going to miss what he actually wants to do in your season. That's the first observation I made about the disciples. Second one is this. The disciples see challenges as disasters rather than opportunities. Do you know the disciples were always running around going, well, that's it this time. They actually probably thought, this is terrible. This is the end of our ministry as we know it. It was always a disaster to the disciples. They never saw any challenge as an opportunity. And we need to be people who constantly see the challenge come in my way and go, ha ha, 
that's an opportunity. I heard this incredible quote, Corrie ten Boom, a great woman who'd rescued Jews um, from World War II out of, you know, concentration camps, incredible woman, a Dutch woman who actually did that, ended up in a concentration camp herself. She made this incredible statement, said, God does not have problems. God only has plans. God does not have problems. He only has plans. And yet those disciples consistently saw problems, problems, not understanding that God saw them as opportunities. Think of the two men on the road to Emmaus. Jesus has just died and they're so depressed. They're just walking on this road, absolutely depressed, not even seeing and understanding the opportunity that was right there. They were walking with Jesus. Even in your greatest challenge, your greatest grief, your greatest obstacles, look up and see the opportunities that are right there. Maybe Jesus is walking right with you and you may have missed that moment. It's so important we understand this. You know, as last year in the middle of COVID, we, uh, we got this bill that came in. Anyone else hate bills like me? You know, my first year of marriage, I lived at home till I got married and I got married. So I never saw all the bills that make life a reality. I was just, and so my first year of marriage, I was depressed, absolutely depressed. Because I'd go to the letterbox and I realised nobody sends you anything nice anymore. They just send bills. This was a long time ago when we got things in the letterbox. And, you know, I'd open these bills. But last year, and I thought I'd conquered my fear of bills, but one came in and it was $1,800. And it was a water bill. Yeah, whoa, that's exactly right. And so we just made an assumption at first, well, it's been COVID. Maybe we've had a lot of showers. Maybe we've been really clean in COVID because there was nothing else to do in this lockdown season. And oh, I was so depressed. I'm like, right, that's it. And this is a bit of my mentality. Go, that's it, I give up. I've been faithfully serving Jesus all my life. And then I get a bill like this. Well, that's it. It's over now. What's the point? What's the point of all this when we get a bill? We haven't got the money for it. We can't afford it. And I go on and on and on like this. And Paul goes, well, let's just pray about it. Let's just stop. Rather than you go on your rant again on about bills. And we stop for a moment. I said, God, we don't even know what we've got this. And just a thought came to us. Maybe we have a water leak. And we investigated and we had a leak that we didn't realise that actually saw compensation come back so that we were able to cover that bill. Can I tell you, so often we jump to this moment going, it's a disaster. It's all over. Rather than going, all right, God, there is an opportunity here. I just can't see it yet. But let my perspective be in line with yours. The third observation I make about this is that the disciples give Jesus a natural solution. They came to Jesus when there was a need of feeding 5,000 men and then women and children. And do you know what they said? Send them away to the local villages so they can buy some food themselves. Have you ever given a natural solution to Jesus? Okay, you're so spiritual here. I'm amazed. (laughs) That when he asks, maybe there's a 
offering coming up or a miracle offering. He says, give this amount. Oh, I'll just give half because I think that's a way better compromise in that situation. Or whatever it may be. The disciples presented a natural solution and we need to be very careful if we want to walk in the perspective of Jesus that we don't continually bring a natural solution to what God actually wants to do. You think about it, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was there weeping and sweating drops of blood because he knew what was about to come to him. Judas approaches him, kisses him, betrays him. And I love this fact that Peter just fires up, gets his, gets his sword out and he just chops the ear off a soldier that's right there. He goes into natural mindset, not understanding this was part of a supernatural heavenly plan to bring redemption to the world even today. We've got to understand, don't just jump to natural solutions. Can I tell you, that's why tithing is actually a supernatural thing. It's supernatural. Because if you try and understand it with your natural thinking, you'll never comprehend it. I don't know how it works. I don't understand the blessing. I don't know some things, but I know as I put God first in this area of my finance, it's choosing a natural, not a natural, but a supernatural solution over a natural solution. I tell you what, you walk in the blessing and the favour of the Lord. I can't explain it, but then we're not called to live according to natural solutions. I remember years ago, Paul came to me and he's talking about expansion. One of our cultures of our church is expansion. And he says to me, I think we've got another campus, you know, missions, all these things. And I said, well, Paul, and I was obviously tired. I was really leaning into the natural right now, not the supernatural. I said, I feel God is saying this year to consolidate. Our culture is expansion. I'm saying consolidate. I feel it's time to have a year off. Take a rest. Just focus on a few little things. Just really bring it in home and really just, you know, just get into it from that point of view. He looked at me. He goes, well, I reject everything you say. And he walked out the room. And I always laugh about that because that was one of the year of the greatest expansion in our life. But I was operating tired, overwhelmed. I was being a disciple, bringing a natural solution to problems that I saw rather than actually going, God, what is the spiritual and supernatural solution? And I want to encourage you in this church, when challenges arise in your family, but also in the church, actually make it a point we go to God and ask what He wants to do. Not just solve it, not just deal with it the way you've done in the past, but actually come up with a point, go, you know, I need a strategy from God for this. The fourth observation I make about this is that the disciples didn't realise they were called to be part of the solution. There are so many people today in the church particularly who can tell you all the problems but haven't had the revelation they're meant to be part of the solution. The disciples had no clue that Jesus was about to use them. Now think about this. Jesus didn't actually do the miracle that day. All He took was five loaves and two fishes. He gave them to the disciples and they outworked the miracle. They didn't even realise that they were part of the miracle that day. And we need to understand we need to actually be part of the solution. Jesus said this, this thing to him, says, you give them something to eat. And I love that when they said, well, we don't know what's out there. He says, you go and find out. We need to be people that understand. It's no point ringing out Pastor Phil, 
Pastor Phil, I just want to tell you all the problems in the church at the moment because I really feel he's going to be empowered to go, well, great, now you're part of that solution. You know, one of my favourite things, oh, you're clapping for that, that's awesome. Be released in that ministry, Pastor Phil. As a pastor, you know, when people come to us, oh, Pastor Paul, Pastor Joe, you know, prayer, prayer. I really feel that we should be doing more prayer. So I just want to leave that one with you, Pastor Paul and Pastor Joe. And we go, no, 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 hang on a minute. God's obviously speaking to you right now. So I really think you need to be part of that solution to bring prayer and activate that in the life of the church. So be careful what things you point out in the life of the church because God's actually saying, now you're going to be part of that solution. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to go through three things because this is really important with how to change your perspective. Three things. First one is this. Look up. Look up. In Mark 6.41, it says very simply, and Jesus looking up to heaven. One of the greatest things that you can do in your season, challenge, situation is to stop everything else and look up. Jesus looked to his Father. He wanted to get his eyes off the hungry people. Can you imagine looking at probably 10,000 hungry people? Feed me, feed me, feed me. You can imagine looking at the disciples like looking at Jesus with crazy thoughts. He had to get away from all of that. He couldn't actually leave. So what did he do? He looked up. And one of the greatest things that we can do in our lives, in every season, make a decision. I'm going to look up first. I'm going to look up to heaven. You know, Colossians 3 verse 2 says, set your minds on things up. Above. Change your viewpoint. Change it. Stop looking at the problems. Stop looking at those kids who are away from God. Stop looking at your finances. Stop looking at your lack. Stop looking at your lack of opportunities, whatever it may be. Stop looking at all the exams you're about to embark on. Look up. Look up to heaven and start there. You know, one of my things in early ministry, I had to actually stop looking at everyone else. And I had to start looking to God. I remember Paul, this is early ministry days. We were pastoring a youth group and Paul went to preach at a very significant church in Sydney and he got to stay with the pastors there. And I remember he came back and I never asked him, did God move? I never asked him, were their souls saved? I never asked him all the great things God was doing. I said this, it's actually really embarrassing to say this. I said, what's their house like? What things do they have? What do they do? Tell me how they do those things. And the Holy Spirit had to really rebuke me. Stop looking around at the things of the natural. Stop looking to the left and to the right. Stop comparing your life to someone else. Stop measuring your success by someone else's and just stop where you are and look up. I love that Jesus in the midst of that challenge made a decision. There is need right now. There are people pressing around me and I need a miracle. But I am looking up to my Father and I'm going to actually put my attention on Him. Second thing is this. You've got to start with what you've got. Start with what you've got. Jesus said, what have we got? (laughs) I love that even Jesus said that. He didn't do a miracle out of nothing. He didn't just go, here's Red Rooster for all these people because I know you like Red Rooster. He literally said, what have we got? 
If you want to change your perspective, firstly, look up. But secondly, start with what you've got. Whatever it may be, so small. They had five loaves and two fish. And it went on to feed over 5,000 people that day. And can I say that it didn't just feed them a little bit. It says they went away satisfied and there were leftovers, which says to me, no one went hungry that day. We need to start with what we have. Jesus is asking us the same. You know, the widow and Elisha came to her in 2 Kings 4. And here she is thinking she has to sell her children into human human trafficking, basically, just to make enough money to survive. And the prophet says, what do you have? And she says, I've got nothing. He goes, hang on a minute. What do you have? Oh, hang on a minute. Except for a little bit of oil. And that poured out into every container that she had until it was empty and she was able to sell and cover her debts. We've got to stop looking at what we need and actually start looking at what we've got. What abilities do you have? I'm telling you today, you can pray. You can encourage someone. You can praise and declare a praise over your circumstances. What have you got today? Maybe you could give an opportunity to someone. What have you got? I saw years ago um, Melinda Gates, the Melinda Gates uh, Foundation, Bill and Melinda Gates, they're obviously not together now. But it showed this in this documentary, this woman, you know, at one point the wealthiest people on the planet And it showed that every month she would get requests from people wanting things, money, for different charities. And she'd go through them, do an assessment, and she'd be writing checks for a million dollars. If you don't know what a check is, it's a piece of paper, used to write on it. That's how we did our banking back in the old-fashioned days, okay? And she would write checks to this organisation because she had the means to do it. And I just, something gripped my heart, thought one day I would love to do that. One day I'd love to have a fund that I could bless people. They've lost a car, I'm going to give you a car. Maybe they've lost a house, whatever it is. But this is the incredible thing. I did nothing with that because I was waiting for my millions of dollars. I was waiting to be like Melinda Gates. And I had a revelation one day. See, this is the power of perspective. When Jesus comes to you and goes, but Joe, what have you got now? And I go, well, I don't have millions. I do not have millions. I don't even have hundreds of thousands or even tens of thousands. And Jesus is saying to me, but what have you got? I go, wow, I've got $50. I've got $100. And when I had a revelation to start with what I've got, that I could be a blessing in that space, even with a little amount, rather than waiting for my big money to come in, I can start being a blessing now. And too many people are waiting for their one day. And Jesus is saying, what have you got right now? You could write a letter to someone. You could do what so many things start with what you've got. Worship team, why don't you come and join me? So if you want to find perspective in your life, firstly, look up. Secondly, start with what you've got. And the third one, really important, give thanks. Give thanks. Jesus looked up to heaven. He took what they had, five loaves and two fish. And I love the fact before anything else took place, he goes, I will give thanks for what we have. He blessed it. He set it apart. He consecrated it. He celebrated it. And we need to be people who give thanks. Don't wait for the miracle. Like Pastor Phil says, we can give thanks on this side. We can make a declaration that God is awesome on this side. Give thanks for what you've got. 
You know, I was a few years ago and I was walking around my house complaining. Don't happen often, but it does happen sometimes. And I was whinging and said, God, we don't have this. We don't have that. And I'm frustrated with this. And life should be better than this. And I was going on making a mental list of all the issues and problems that we had in our life. And I remember the Holy Spirit just spoke to me. And he says, why don't you just give thanks for what you've got? No, I'm not thankful, Holy Spirit. I just want you to know I'm not thankful. not feeling it today. So I'm not going to do that. And he goes, no, you give thanks for what you've got right now. And I had to make a conscious decision. Not only to start what I've got with what I've got, but to actually give thanks in that situation. And I said, Lord God, I thank you for my family. I thank you for these things that I have. I thank you for where you've placed me. I'm telling you, thanks will unlock miracles in your life. I totally believe as Jesus looked up, started with what he had, and he gave thanks, they saw an incredible miracle. Can I tell you, in every situation of your life, you need to look up. Start with what you've got and give thanks. The problem started in this chapter with 5,000 men hungry with no food. The problem ended with 5,000 men still satisfied and leftovers. I love the fact when our perspective changes, God can do something phenomenal in our midst. I read a story, it just happened last week or the week before, about a man called Eddie Jacku. I don't know if anyone saw that on the news. He was a German Jew, Jewish man, but grew up in Germany. He was arrested along with his family and put in multiple concentration camps in World War II. His parents were gassed in Auschwitz and he ended up on a death march out of Auschwitz. And he escaped in that moment and lived for weeks on just insects in this crazy setting before being liberated. He ended up getting married later, moving to Australia in the 1950s. And he was miserable. He was a man that'd seen horrific things take place in his life. And it went on that he finally, his wife had a child, had this baby and he had a revelation in that moment that either I can change my perspective or I'm going to just continue living in depression and this cycle of misery and grief that have been my whole life to this point. And he made a decision in that moment to choose a different perspective, choose a different perspective. The incredible thing was he died at 101 just two weeks ago. He wrote a book when he was 100 years old. So there's hope for all of us to write a book out there, okay? 100 years old, he released his first book and it was called The Happiest Man on Earth. He says, I have made a decision to change my outlook, my future by changing my perspective. He served Jewish people. He actually ran the Holocaust Museum and the Jewish Museum in Sydney. And he was a volunteer speaking life and hope to people because he changed his perspective. Church, I really believe it's time to put some things aside and change our perspective. You need to walk around going, I am called and I am chosen and I am anointed. And God has strategically placed this church here for the next greatest season of its life. We need to change our perspective that God will bring the resources that we need and the people that we need. He will raise up the leaders and He will call forth the giftings that are required in this season. I'm telling you, we need to change our perspective today. Why don't you stand in this place? I am a 
Thank you for joining our podcast. We hope you were blessed by today's message. You can connect with us at shilohchurch.com.au.